Welcome in and welcome to Retirement Plan Playbook. Today we have a big show on deck. It's episode number 55. And today we're going to talk about something that many people don't really enjoy hearing about, but it's important as we kind of roll into the end of this year, and that's analyzing Biden's new tax plan. I'm your host, Brent Pasqua, founder of RPA Wealth Management. I'm here with Matthew Thiel, certified financial planner, and Joshua Winterswike, certified financial planner. Guys, fall is finally here, and the weather seems like it's kind of finally cooling down a little bit. The last you know, week has been starting to cool down. What is your favorite fall drink as we kind of get into the holiday season? I'm going to be extra boring here, and I'm not really a fall drink guy. I don't have one. Like, I know some people do pumpkin spice lattes. Some people are into, like, you know, like cider. Maybe I'll do cider, like, if we go see the Christmas lights. But yeah, I don't, I don't do fall drinks. I'm pretty, I'm pretty strict on my drinks. I mean, I'm water and coffee and tea. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. I thought you'd for sure have a fall drink. Um, mine is when I think of fall and like even just rolling into the holidays, a whiskey and seven or seven, seven. No, a lot of people call them. Um, it was just like a holiday drink that I'd, you know, just kind of grew in, in my family and it reminds me of my grandparents too and, and around the holiday time. So, you know, I always like a, a good 7-7 seven, seven around fall season, holiday season. I think the as fall season kind of comes around, I think like a glass of wine around the holidays is always good. That's probably the first thing that comes to my mind. But I do enjoy drinking coffee. So, I mean, that's another good drink for fall. Yeah, I agree. You know, I was hoping one of you guys would be like, oh, I'm big on those pumpkin spice lattes. Nah, not for me. I guess it's more probably less iced coffee or like cold brew and more just hot coffee if I'm going to like the coffee shop with my wife or something. But I'm not big on like the the fall drinks and the holiday cups at Starbucks. Yeah, have they rolled those out yet? Those holiday cups are they in? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, are they still going with the? <laughs> I, I haven't seen them yet. I, but remember, I know that's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, the holiday cups are here. You'll probably see it on social media once they do happen, I would think. I mean, everyone likes to show off their new cup or yeah. something. Yeah. Do you guys know when the pumpkin spice lattes are launched? Is that already happened? I don't, but I would imagine it's any day now. <laughs> social media, come on, help us out. All right. Well, let's get into hot take headlines. Amazon will cover 100% of college tuition for hourly employees. Starting in January, Amazon said that it will cover the cost of college tuition, fees, and textbooks for hourly employees in its operation network after 90 days of employment. It will also begin covering high school diploma programs, GEDs, and English as a second language certifications for employees. Operation workers include employees in Amazon's sprawling network of warehouses and distribution center. Seems like a short amount of time to start already covering this, you know, expenses. Uh, You don't have to work there very long for this. Yeah, I think this is um, really has to do more with the labor shortage than anything else. But man, this is awesome. More more companies should do this. Uh, really great for Amazon that they are going to be offering to pay college tuition for warehouse workers. That's a it's a real treat, and hopefully people take them up on their offer. And you know they go work in the warehouse. I know that's hard work, but you go work there, you get your college degree, and either you can move up at Amazon or you can move on to something better. I think this makes them you know competitive too. We know that Walmart and Target also have programs to help with education for their workers and. With the labor shortage, I think this gives them, you know, some advantage there too. But, you know, I also like within this program that it's also allowing people to go back to school and even completing like their high school diplomas or GEDs. So people that that was their first goal, not just college. Um, I think that that's a big positive, but I think it's a huge win for employees. And I think it's really nice, you know, good of Amazon for them to offer this. Just really awesome. 
I wonder how much of this is just for them to sort of save face over some of the negative publicities that's come out over the last few years about employment at Amazon, the massive turnover that they have. You know, there's been these separate groups that have tried to create unions within Amazon, people complaining about uh, how they're treated, lunch breaks, and time to, to do what they need to during their work hours. Um, that, I know that's been a big issue for them. I'm sure a lot of it is, you know, trying to save face, trying to get, you know, good high quality workers to take these warehouse jobs. But in a way, like, you know, we all know that college is a crisis, right? College is very expensive and a lot of people can't afford it. You know, and we have some wings of the Democrat Party who are saying like, oh, well, we're going to give everyone free college. Well, that's never going to happen. But here's corporate America, Amazon, you know, one of the largest corporations in our country um, that was founded by an American is going out and solving the problem. So again, you know, business leaders are leading while politicians are not. And I think it helps Amazon though, right? Because if they're able to pay for college and they're retaining that employee, and I mean, there's obviously certain criteria that to get your college paid for. And, I, you know, a lot of businesses know that, you know, retention and turnover is a major expense and could be offset by these college programs. Yeah, you get to hold on to your talent. You get to grow your own talent. I'm, Matt, I think you make a great point too, the private sector solving another, in, like an issue which is college. So I think it's, it's really positive. Um, and actually, Amazon had programs before to pay for college. It was just more limited. So it's now, now nice to see that it's a little bit more broad. You can kind of go to school for whatever you want instead of it being in a specific industry that they were dictating. So you think that colleges cut these companies a break on tuition? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure, but that is a good question. I mean, it's something we always bring up. College seems to be way overpriced. But that actually the, brings this final thought. Where we are going is probably where you'll have like an Amazon University, a Google University, an Apple University. And these these large companies are just going to put out their own universities where you go through and you'll get like a typical degree and then they'll specialize you in whatever field you're going into. So maybe if you're in the warehouse, it's warehouse management and logistics. Um, if you're on the computer coding side, then you'll go through computer coding. In my opinion, that's probably more the future of education than letting, you know, private universities and the government decide it for you. You can drive your Apple car to your Apple university to study on your Apple products while calling people on your Apple phone. Exactly. Future's going to be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, More Apple in the second topic of today. Uh, Apple announced the iPhone 13, the iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, iPhone Pro Max and the Watch Series 7, a new iPad, and a redesigned iPad mini. Um, Apple launched these products at their recent event um, that they hold. Uh, What's your sort of thoughts on these uh, products? My thought was is I wanted a new phone. So I was very interested in this Apple event um, that I watched. Unfortunately, uh, I wasn't as blown away. <laughs> it's not as different as the last model for the iPhones, but you know, it has some some cool new features like they always do, but just wasn't wasn't completely remodeled or anything like that. But I will say that I broke down and I finally pre-ordered a new phone. I needed one, um, and I'm really excited to get it. So we've been bagging on you for needing a new <laughs> phone for the last I don't know what has it been probably eight months. Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I know when when I started to need a new phone. It was yeah, so you had a line through your phone for the last eight months, and now you're saying the reason that you waited was for the Apple event. Uh huh. This is true. Yes. Yeah. And it finally came, and a uh, little disappointed, but happy to get a new phone. You know, haven't been as excited for an event in a while. So I, I agree. So I think you know you're you're kind of saying the event was a letdown, right? Yes. And I, I think Apple is there, where it's most likely going to be a letdown 
from now until whatever there's a future device. If they do a car or there's some next breaking technology, but for the most part, all they're doing is changing the colors, putting better chips in, and maybe making it a nicer camera. Yeah, operating systems faster, yeah. Um, better camera. Yeah, uh, you know, that is true. But, um, you know, when I, I haven't had a new phone in, I think, a couple cycles. So it will be a little bit of a, a difference for me, which I'm excited to see. But, yeah, a little, little disappointed, but that's okay. Yeah. Do you think they're releasing products too frequently? Um, I was thinking about that. I think actually what they're doing is maybe it's time for them to cut the product events and, um, you know, just release new products. Oh, here's our new iPhone. Here's what it could do. Sign up here to buy it. Yeah, but their events are like a long commercial. That's all right. it really is now. Right. So, I mean, maybe that's why they do it because it is a commercial and so many people tune in. But again, I mean, it's kind of the same thing every time. So I imagine viewership is probably dropping and it's most likely just journalists who are watching now and Josh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what was it last year? You you watched the event last year. I think we even watched it together. Because he needed a phone. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so just because he didn't need a phone this year, he didn't watch it. He wasn't he's interested. all bearish now on Apple. But um, uh, I'm not know, bearish. I'm just bored. Apple like impressed me. We, we had this conversation yesterday and maybe they just needed a little bit of a, you know, they need to change up the events spread out the the products maybe a little bit more or not roll all of them out at the same time so yeah i was hoping for new airpods but i look, think we'll have to wait on those a new ipad mini looks pretty cool though yeah for the listeners check that yeah. out all right so let's get in the retirement planning corner uh after months of anticipation democrats on the house ways and means committee released their tax proposals on september 13th while many of the features of biden's original plan are included there are differences between the original plan and the proposed bill indicates that much of the negotiation has already taken place. Even though the bill has yet to become law, it's important for financial planners and their clients to know what it contains. As individuals might now have only months, maybe even weeks or days to make decisions that could impact them financially in a tremendous way. It's, uh, I think, a little bit difficult here because there was an original plan that was released at the beginning of the year, and we had time to kind of prepare and look at it, but there's a lot of adjustments here that, that change that, and now we don't really know exactly when this could possibly go into effect. But let, let's get into first some of those updates and what's in the proposal. Let's start with ordinary income taxes and what the ordinary income tax rates could eventually change to. Yeah, so I guess first we'll define what income tax is. Um, and income tax is essentially the tax you pay on your wages, your earned income, right? So if you have a job, you know, you're getting a W-2, you're paying income tax. Um, there's pretty much no way around that. And the proposal is to update the essential tax tables. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, misrepresentation about what this actually means. And essentially, all they're doing here is if you are married and you make more than 450000 then your tax rate is going up by about 2%. That's it. If you're single and you make more than 400000 your tax rate above 400000 is going up by 2%. There's not much else here. For, for everybody else, it stays the same. So, you know, when you're on TV and you hear, you know, CNN or Fox News saying, oh, Biden is raising taxes on you, he's not. Um, that's, not that's not what's going on here at all. Why, why are they um, only taxing the higher income earners and not the lower? Well, I mean, this might kind of sound um, insensitive. But I don't really think a 2% tax raise is going to make that big of a difference. 
on somebody who's making $450,000, $500,000 a year, and it's going to pay for a lot of the spending proposals the government wants to do. If you raise 2% tax on someone you know making fifty dollars to 100000 that's going to make a difference. But at four hundred, four fifty, five hundred, you should be pretty set uh, financially. So people who make under four hundred fifty thousand, or these certain parameters that you just discussed, and they make under those, they don't have to worry about any changes going into next if this goes into effect. Correct. And I think what's good to point out is that yes, it's raising it, you know, two percent, but it's also lowering the threshold to be in that top bracket. So before under the bracket of you know let's just say married filing jointly you had to make over six hundred and twenty eight thousand dollars a year to actually be in that top bracket um that top tax bracket but now being 450 there's now going to be a new segment of married filing jointly couples that actually are going to now be in that tax bracket and be paying an additional two percent to that top tax bracket so i think that that's a big change for people that in anyone that falls in that category the key here will be if you're right around that 400,000 mark is to find deductions to get your income below that 400,000. If you do, you're fine. If not, it's going to cost you a couple thousand dollars extra per year. So just decide what you want to do and put the tax plan together. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess, you know, with any, anytime there's updates, I mean, you got to go back to your financial plan and put the data, make adjustments and see how you can offset any higher costs. Um, okay, so the second one that's in here is one that we've been talking a lot about and one that we were concerned about because it was pretty significant in the prior bill, uh, and that's the long-term capital gains rate. What is the capital gains tax, and what does that actually mean? So capital gains tax is a tax you pay when you sell a asset for a gain. So if you're an investor um, and you had bought, let's just say, a stock, give me an example, for $10 and it grew to $15, there's a $5 gain within that stock. So when you sell it and you realize that $5 gain, you have to pay a levy or tax on that appreciation of that stock. And what is the new capital gains tax rate? And where is it at now? And where is it going to be proposed to go? So before the, the brackets worked at 0, 15%, and 20% based off of your income. Now, what the proposal is stating, that that capital gains rate is going from 20% to 25%. So again, the top rate um, within capital gains is increasing for everyone. And they're using that $400,000 and $450,000 income level, um, everyone over that, that amount that you make per year. So let's say you sell a stock like you talked and you're, you make a profit and you make over $400,000 before you would pay on that profit of that sock 20%, now it's going to be bumped up to 25%. That's correct. So it is, um, again, affecting everyone that makes over that $450,000 of annual income per year. So if you don't, like Matt said, even with the ordinary income tax rate, you don't have to worry, right? It's not going to affect your capital gains rate. It's only affecting the people with income over 450000 married filing jointly. And how do we feel about this? Again, I just don't see this having, you know, a big impact. So th this is the tax that, um, you know, high, high net worth individuals usually pay, right? So they get paid in stock options, they get their companies go public, and they get shares in the company, um, they sell their, you know, a business, what have you, this is the tax rate they pay. And this just, unfortunately, this uh, impacts the top 1%, it doesn't impact, you know, the 99%. It doesn't even impact you know, everyday investors who are, you know, trading in a 
brokerage account with, you know, a hundred thousand to a million. This impacts people who are, you know, much likely north of that on the portfolio size. And really before, you know, we start to overreact to even the increase, this isn't even the highest it's ever been in the last like 30 years. We've seen it as high as 27%. So, you know, is it an increase? Yes. But again, like Matt said, you know, for the the 1% and that's who it's affecting. I think a, a bigger headline to this capital gains change is that we didn't see any elimination of step up of cost basis. Um, and we've talked about that, I think, you know, when we did the last Biden tax proposal. So I think that's just a, a big win. Yeah. I mean, but this previously was the top bracket was going to be paid at 39%, right? For capital gains or something very astronomically high. Where, where, where did that go? I think both of you are getting to the point. Um, I don't know if it's been covered in the mainstream media, but we are the mainstream media, Matt. <laughs> this, <laughs> from, from all the talk, you know, all through the winter into the spring into now here with, you know, the, the one side of the Democrat party, this is extremely watered down. This is barely even a tax raise. I think where it hurts people, if you're a high income earner and you hold mutual funds that you've had for years and years and you're not selling them, and internally the, those mutual funds are selling positions and those gains are going to roll downhill to you and you're having to pay capital gains tax on that and you're not even trading out of your position, you're going to get hit hard with taxes on this. Yeah, you will. And I mean, that's one of the, the times where you might want to put a more efficient mutual fund or ETF in, in place in your portfolio and just unfortunately pay the one-time capital gains tax. I think it's promoting people to really look at, you know, their balance sheet and seeing what appreciated assets they have because I mean, this applies to even real estate, right? You have property and how is that going to affect you going forward? How big of a difference um with these new rates of capital gains um compared to the old ones? So making sure you analyze all of those investment cells um that you have planned going forward or you did now. Yeah, that makes sense. Can I say one final point before we move on? One thing I thought was super interesting is even if this bill goes through, the capital gains tax rate is already locked in. So there's nothing you could do. Um, there's no stock sales in December. Your new rate, if you make over the, over the 450, is 25% on any stock sales that happened after September 14th. Uh, super interesting language there. Uh, I think that's what they did to create it so the stock market doesn't sell off. So kind of cool. Makes sense. All right, let's get into Roth conversions um, and how are these changing? What is a first Roth conversion? And then sort of tell us about this rule. Yeah, in simple terms, a Roth conversion is, let's say you have an IRA, there's some money in it. Um, you could convert it to a Roth IRA and pay taxes, income taxes on the IRA. But then after that, after you pay the taxes, you could let the Roth grow and there'll be no taxes when you pull it out. Very popular strategy, um, especially with high net worth earn earners. And what the government is saying is, here's that magic number. If you make over 400 and you're single, if you make over 450 and you're married, you will no longer be allowed to do Roth IRA conversions. Uh, so that's taken off the table. Uh, one interesting fact I learned doing the research on this is this doesn't go into effect until 2032. <laughs> so yeah, Roth IRA conversions are kind of dead, but not for 10 years. So go crazy. <laughs> Wait, why? Why is it even in here if it's gonna, if it's not till twenty thirty two? I mean, this thing can get changed a thousand times over by then, and it probably will be. So the reasoning I heard behind it is that the government actually counts on revenue from IRA conversions to Ross, and the budget goes out for ten years. Therefore, that's why they put it in for twenty thirty two, ten years from now. Ding ding ding! Follow the money. <laughs> Yeah. So if you're worried about that, at least you're able to decipher whether 
what's in here may impact you and what's not, that's a good one to know. We'll probably have two presidents before then, so this will get changed many times. Yeah. I think it's just another reason to really analyze, you know, what your plan is going forward. I mean, it, not a, a huge change because um, you do have some 10 years to do this. But if you're thinking about Roth conversions, now's a good time to get started. One of them that headlined, and let's get into the next one, is new required minimum distributions for taxpayers with high income and mega-sized retirement accounts. Um, what is required minimum distribution and what is this new rule? A required minimum distribution or RMD is when the government forces you to pull money out of your retirement accounts to tax you. So right now, you know, a lot of people um, have retirement accounts, 401ks, IRAs, and the IRS and the government requires you to take money out at a certain age. Currently right now, that's 72 and a half. Now, under this new proposed rule, an individual that has both high income as defined using the adjusted taxable income threshold described above 450000 for joint filers, and number two, total retirement accounts worth more than $10 million will be subject to an RMD for the year. How this is very different is before you had to actually meet an age requirement for the government to require you to take money out of your retirement accounts as in the form of an RMD. Now, this is defining an RMD as based off of your income and the dollar amount within your account. So this is a big change to the RMD for anyone earning more than 400 single or 450 mailed filing, married filing jointly. Sorry. I think there's a lot going on here. I'm just going to say if I had 10 million in my IRA, I would actually be really happy with this rule because yes, I'm going to pay some taxes, but I'm not 59 and a half, so I can't pull money out of my IRA. Um, but therefore, this is going to allow me to get liquidity and get after-tax money, which I could use to go buy real estate. I could go purchase a business. I could invest in, in startups. I can invest in cryptocurrency. If you have over $10 million in your IRA, you meet this income threshold and you're under 59 and a half. This is kind of a cool rule for you. Yeah. And at the same time, I mean, think a lot of these people that have this amount of money in their retirement accounts are probably holding some individual stock of the company that they work for, right? Like that's how you would get to this point. It's not always just investing in some mutual funds in a 401k. Right. And this allows them to diversify out of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know if the government meant to do this, but if you meet these qualifications, you are what we call ultra high net worth. And this is probably a benefit for you. I think the tech industry probably loves this. Yeah, well, it definitely could be a win-win for both the account holder and the, the tax um, collector. Um, so I think that this rule is very interesting and it's going to you know open up the doors for some interesting planning techniques for the ultra net worth people out there. Yeah, and if you have under $10 million in your um, retirement accounts, nothing to see here. Just move on with your life. So are there any other changes here to be aware of? Yeah, Brent, there's a lot to unpack in this bill. Um, so there's a new tax rate for high-earning S-corp earners, um, which kind of makes me a little bit disappointed. There's also a new surtax for ultra-high-income high, um, earners. And then there's a reduction in the credit amount for gift and estate tax. So they are pulling back that estate taxable threshold. It's going back to where it was, the five and the 10 million. Really what they're attacking doing here is going after high net worth individuals. Um, so if you don't earn a, S, a high earning escort, nothing to see here. Um, if you don't make over 5 million, I believe for the surtax, nothing to see here. And if your state's under 10 million, again, nothing to see here. I think we can unpack these in another show if it actually becomes a law. So when would this go into effect? Do we have any idea? Um, if it gets passed, it would go into effect this year oh, at, at the turn of the calendar, I believe. 
Yeah, and I also think that, you know, like the estate and gift tax changes can affect a little bit more people than we think. Now, especially with housing prices, um, where they're at, people contributing to 401k and, and, you know, retirement account balances as high as they are. So I just think that that could be an area where more people could be affected potentially. Um, and I would love to dive it deeper into that in another show. So I'm assuming that we don't know if this is going to be retroactive to 2021 or if this goes in effect for the 2022 calendar year. I think it depends what part you're talking on. On the income tax side, it's going to be 2022. And I also believe on the trust and estate side, it'd be 2022. Capital gains tax is 2021. That was the only one that I saw too. Capital gains was the only one that was going to be effective as immediately for the most part. Yeah. Well, as these things kind of continue to develop and we find out more, we'll keep putting out um, shows that can update people because I think it's something that's important as people need to know what these updates and rules are and they could plan around it. Um, all right, so let's get into the last part of the show. Let's get into RPA recommends. Matthew, what do you have for us? All right, so I'm going to go back to a show um, after being, I guess, closed down by the pandemic from production for a long time. One of my favorite shows on Showtime is back. It's called Billions. Um, it's about a, a billionaire hedge fund manager. It, it's just a, a really great, enjoyable show. Um, pretty, pretty actual, realistic way into the hedge fund industry and how Wall Street works. Highly recommend it. I think you've actually recommended Billions before on the show. Probably. I said I'm gonna. I was gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. Okay. So that's next on. That's next on the docket for me. I can't uh, give you any more excuses, Matt. Yeah. It's, it, you know, we're, we're in the investment industry. I think both you guys should be watching. It's a fun show. Yeah. I got, I got to watch that. Um, I got a, I got a save money technique for recommends today. I had a really good experience at Best Buy buying some new appliances and they have a, a price match as long as you can prove that the item is in stock and, and you can prove that the price is lower than theirs. And just wanted to say that that process was really easy. Went into Best Buy showed them the price match. They discounted it. No questions asked. Ordered my item. It was delivered. Really good experience. Um, so it's definitely worth the extra time to try to find a lower price. Or if you're in, you know, in the, you're shopping for appliances and, you know, Home Depot has it lower than Best Buy. They will match it. Experience was good. Customer service was good. Just wanted to give a shout out to them because they did give me some good service. You know what? My RPA recommend goes on that same thing. Um, I needed to do some tech stuff for my backyard. And um, Matt had recommended that I go see the Magnolia people at Best Buy. And I scheduled actually a home consultation with them. They actually saved me money. Because I was going to, when I planned to do it and, and planned what my order out of how I thought I needed to do it, uh, was way doing it the wrong way and overdoing it. And by listening to them, it saved me probably a thousand or two thousand dollars by just going with their, like, you know, you, we can minimize it and do it this way and it's going to be a lot cheaper and easier. I like stories about hiring experts and they save you money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> those stories are always good yeah it's amazing how that works but <laughs> i had i one of the things i got was a sono soundbar and i have that now with my connected to my tv and the sound and quality in my room is so amazing i mean it, it's beats so much of just what the audio that the tv puts out okay so when are we going when are you going to invite us over to watch uh, a game and listen to your new soundbar this weekend <laughs> everyone's invited all right. So as advisors, we love helping people. That's why we do it. Uh, if you'd like to schedule an appointment with any of us, please go to rpawealth.com and schedule a complimentary consultation. You can also download our ebook from our website. Uh, if you'd like the show notes, please go to retirementplanplaybook.com. 
thank you. We're 55 episodes in. We appreciate our listeners, and uh, we'll, we'll get back on the show next time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcast. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.